Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Recently, the United States Department of Justice hosted a program on religious freedom. My friend and colleague, Todd McFarland, who serves as Associate General Counsel for the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, was there. And now he's here to tell us all about it. Welcome, Todd. Alan, it's great to be with you today. So, you know, depending upon one's politics, they see religious freedom in association with this administration, either in positive or negative terms. But tell us your impressions from, well, first of all, what was this event? You know, who called it and and what came, you know, let's get some basics first. Sure. So, so the event which occurred on Monday, July 30th, it was an event at DOJ, and it was a DOJ Department of Justice-sponsored event. Uh, the Attorney General Jeff Sessions was the keynote speaker, um, and then at the end of the day, Senator Langford spoke. Um, the, one of the major events for purposes for it was to roll out a religious liberty task force that Jeff Sessions or the Attorney General Sessions had implemented. And that is supposed to be a sort of multi-department task force in the Department of Justice to make sure that DOJ was following up on the executive order uh, from the president earlier in the year to focus on religious liberty and make sure that the Department of Justice and the agencies it supports, which of course is the entire federal government, is doing everything it can to promote uh, religious liberty consistent with the uh, executive order. So that was the first, um, and that's an intergovernmental Department of Justice uh, task force that he was appointing. So that was sort of the first thing. But then, you know, they spent the rest of the event uh, speaking on, they, they had two panels in the afternoon after Sessions keynote. And one of them was different individuals who had suffered religious liberty or had religious liberty challenges to various uh, degrees and talking about their experience. And then the second panel was various religious liberty um, experts and policy experts talking about where they saw issues of religious liberty going and where they felt the appropriate balance was. And it was it was a very good event. And it was a very balanced event. It, you know, it didn't talk just about, you know, one particular faith protecting a different one particular, you know, religious viewpoint. It was, you know, very, very much all, all over the place as far as different, not just Christians, but Muslims, Sikhs, uh, and Jewish, uh, you know, issues as well. Well, and that answers one of the questions that is certainly always raised by critics of this administration, which is whether religious liberty is really become code for liberty for us and not for them. But here you're you know, saying that it really was broad based. It was. Attorney General Sessions made it clear in his opening remarks or his keynote, he pointed out to several issues the Department of Justice had where they had a couple of different areas. One where they had prosecuted individuals, uh, one individual who had called in threats to a Muslim mosque, another situation where a person had recently been sentenced for, I think, firebombing a mosque, uh, and, you know, and pointed out and then some other examples as well of where the department had protected the rights of non-Christian groups. He also mentioned Christian groups as well, but definitely went out of his point to sort of make it a broad-based, you know, we're protecting the religious liberty rights of all Americans and of all traditions and faiths. Mm-hmm. So for more than a decade now, because it goes back to the administration of George Bush, uh, they had appointed a special section of justice that deals with 
religious freedom issues. And of course, you know, I've been reading the quarterly releases from them, and we've had their director, their attorney on Bill's Ring a number of times. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear. Department of Justice historically, uh, through from the Bush years on through the Obama years, has been very balanced in uh, pursuing land use cases on behalf of minorities, Muslims included, and uh, just generally religious liberty for all. It's been very clear. I guess my question is, what do you see coming out of this in terms of you know, are they adding staff or what are they adding uh, to their existing functionality in terms of implementing the executive order? I don't think this was about adding staff. I mean, that, of course, requires the budgetary process and everything. I do think it's an allocation of resources and existing staff. So the task force in particular that, um, you know, Sessions rolled out was, and I don't remember, you know, various parts of Department of Justice, and I, and I think there's like a U.S. attorney representative, there's a civil representative, there's a criminal section representative, sort of all the major sections will appoint a person. And then that task force is tasked with looking at ways that, that, that religious liberty is being implemented as a justice and in the areas that justice oversees and making sure they're following the, the executive order. So this was simply an implementation of the executive order and of, you know, just, you know, DOJ sees itself as being taking the lead on religious liberty uh, across the administration and across the government. And since, to some extent, DOJ does interact with all the the areas of government, as they are the government's lawyers, uh, and, you know, agencies have their own lawyer, but ultimately DOJ is the lawyer for the government. You know, they do have a role across the board. Well, there's two areas in particular that you and I deal with where I, I hope that we will see some increased attention and improvement. You know, we had a, a significant settlement against a federal agency last year in an employment discrimination case against an African-American Baptist gentleman uh, who was fired from his job for conducting a baptism on his own time, out of uniform, so to speak. So, you know, in terms of government agencies discriminating against their own employees, that's certainly one area. And then the other one being when there are discrimination charges against state and local governments, the EEOC has to refer those to the Department of Justice. And uh, rarely do we see the federal government taking an interest in prosecuting those cases. But, uh, you know, maybe we'll get some increased focus on some of the discrimination yeah, cases. Absolutely. I mean, now that, you know, the department does have an obligation, you know, in defending an agency to just like any law firm to represent it. Having said that, it doesn't mean that, you know, as any good lawyer does, gives counsel and advice. And so, you know, I think they're talking about here more on the policy side. I mean, they're still going to have their statutory obligation to defend their agencies. On the issue of going, you know, of, of prosecuting cases against uh, local governments and states, again, yeah, we've had that experience. DOJ is the entity that, you know, sort of brings them on behalf of the government if, if they've discriminated. And, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't have any pending right now, but it would be helpful if DOJ would get more interested in those. And, of course, you know, another area, and we talked about this in a prior show, Alan, is, 
you know, cases that go before the Supreme Court, the department has to face a stance there if asked on the interpretation of these federal laws. So, for instance, if the Supreme Court were to take a case interpreting federal laws, oftentimes they'll ask the the agency uh, what its position is, and in that, or what the government, what its position is, and that's DOJ in the form of the Solicitor General's office. And so, you know, being friendly in those cases and taking positive stances uh, is also an important thing, and you know we'll see if they um, if they step up to the plate there. Because remember, they also have an, a little bit of a conflict in that they also have to defend these cases when they themselves cases are brought against them. So it can be a sort of balancing act for the agency and for the department. And so we're hoping that they'll uh, it'll start breaking a little bit more towards protecting church, you know, people of faith and necessarily the government. Well, one of the perennial issues has to do with how religious freedom is defined. Is it defined broadly? Is it defined narrowly in terms of the freedom to worship? And is it really, is the focus more on religious institutions or on individual rights of conscience? Did you get any sense from this event as to what the emphasis is? You know, I, I it was sort of broad-based. They did not go into that sort of level of detail. Certainly, they mentioned RELUPA cases. Certainly, they mentioned, you know, criminal prosecutions of, you know, hate crimes and other crimes against, so they didn't really use that phrase, but, you know, crimes against the houses of worship. Um, and then they also talked about, you know, sort of government funding issues. I should also say, you know, and this, this obviously appeals more to the, to the government, um, you know, to the sort of the right side of, you know, where we are politically. You know, when they had the panel of people who had suffered discrimination, Jack Phillips was on that panel, uh, the Masterpiece Cake Shop Baker. Um, so there was, you know, definitely a focus there. And, and there was also a focus on funding issues. So for instance, they, they brought up the issue of, um, uh, adoption agencies and foster parent agencies, many of which are faith-based and are experiencing some um, challenges right now. And then also on top of that, uh, they also mentioned some schools that receive government funding uh, that are faith-based as well in the District of Columbia. Interesting. So it sounds like there may yet be some balance restored. During the Obama years, there was kind of this uh, sort of watchword of freedom of worship, which was very concerning to religious freedom advocates, because, of course, religious practice is what's protected under the Constitution, not just worship. Mm-hmm. And uh, right. we felt it was way too narrow. And they're definitely going for practice as well. I mean, that, I mean, Jack Phillips' case, uh, you know, makes that very clear in the, in the position the government took in that case. And I'm not surprised to see that adoption agencies are now kind of on the radar because a number of them, of faith-based adoption agencies have been forced to close over the years. We've covered those stories here on Freedom's Ring. And the question is, can we provide adoption services broadly, including the LGBT community, which legally is, is very eligible to provide safe and loving homes for, you know, needy kids? But do the faith-based organizations have to participate in that if it violates their faith? And uh, I, so. yeah, and that's been an issue. I mean, it's you know certainly came up. You know, I think Philadelphia is the most recent example as we're taping this. Uh, the, the city there is trying to put pressure on adoption agencies there, and you know it's a difficult issue. But one of the issues that's become clear here is that we're not talking about access, which is to say. In none of these situations have LGBT individuals not had the ability to go to a, an adoption agency 
were actually a choice of adoption agencies uh, and to receive services. There just simply have been some faith-based organizations. In fact, they talked about a Michigan case in which I think that the couple that was bringing the lawsuit had literally passed four different adoption agencies on their way to go to the one that they chose to sue. So we're not talking about access here. We're just talking about is there space in the adoption community, in the adoption uh, world for faith-based entities, which of course traditionally and historically have sort of taken the lead in this issue. And the answer to that in certain places, Massachusetts being one of the first examples, was no, there were not. And the Catholics were completely run out of the business in that state. And so there's definitely an attempt to see that not happen across the board. In fact, they had in the first panel with different people who had religious liberty issues, they had a birth mother uh, who had given her child up and came from a Christian background and was very much encouraged that she was able to do this through through a Christian agency uh, was who handled the adoption for her. Well, and, you know, that's an aspect of this adoption issue I don't know that I've focused on before which is, um, yeah, if you're a birth mother giving a kid up for adoption at birth, do you have any interest or say in, you know, well, I want a place with a heterosexual family? Yeah, they do. And in fact, I mean, I mean, I don't want to be critical of it in any way, but there, it was a little sort of two different issues there because in situations where you have what's known as private adoption, which is, you know, this was a college-age girl, you know, who was healthy, who had no... I mean, no one was forcing her to give up this kid. You know, there was no problem. In those situations, which are generally referred to as private options, there's typically no governmental money. Uh, there doesn't need to be in those situations. There's there's plenty of money that's that's available there. And so in those situations, the birth mother, at least right now, has always will have the option to go, you know, to, to sort of put the parameters on there and to indicate if she wants into a Christian household or, you know, a lot of times people will want them to be, you know, match up with the kid's race, et cetera, et cetera. Where it becomes, where the pressure is right now are more foster to adoption situations. And this is where kids have been taken out of households and placed into foster situations by the state. And then they need to be adopted out because their birth parents, for whatever reason, often drugs. Got um, I got to cut you off, Doc, because we're yep. out of time. Thank you very much, Todd McFarland, Associate General Counsel of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. We've been talking about a new task force initiative announced by the Department of Justice for Religious Liberty. Sounds like a pretty good thing. We'll keep our eyes open. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinoff. Until next week, let freedom ring.